Hello and welcome to Say That, podcast for your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Jed Brewer. Have I been described as a ruthless tall boy? No, no, I've not. But my beverage has. Good to be here. Now, Jed, a tall boy is normally a certain type of beverage. Would you like to to share with the people that I believe you're engaging with a, a liquid death style uh, sparkling water? I am indeed. This is the mango chainsaw varietal. Um, yeah, that's right. I said varietal. I, I, I know smart people words. They The uh, text on the back of the can says, this ruthless tall boy of flavored sparkling water is armed with agave nectar and natural electrolytes. To refresh your body and murder your thirst. Wow. First of all, I really hope that they hired someone out of like the Indiana writing program to do that because that would just delight my heart. The, the second thing is they are a total gimmick, but I got to be honest, this is pretty good sparkling water, y'all. Like it, it, it does what it claims to do. It, we, we on this podcast always appreciate leaning into the bit, which yeah. the liquid death water people always have. And I just wanted to make, make clear that Jed is not like, Crushing a ninety-nine cent Bud Ice <laughs> that he got at the the gas station during the the podcast recording. I I am not. I am not. Just gotta set the scene for the listener. Joining us all the way from Rokers, Tennessee. Who knows what beverage he could how he would describe his current beverage, Lee Younger. I thought a tall boy was a piece of furniture. Oh well, I mean, so, if you stack up that, enough of them, that just shows that just shows what I know about beverages, but. I Dude, thought you're a tall right. boy was furniture. In fact, if you Google tall boy, the first thing that comes up, I guess it's a kind of uh, dresser. Yeah, it's like a Kudos, wardrobe, baby. Huh. Yeah, it's like it's a uh, yeah, tall boy is like a some kind of some kind of wardrobe or something like that. Some the, a place a place in which to keep your clothes, or apparently a device to murder your thirst, which is, seems aggressive. <laughs> Now I'm wondering if the uh, the beverage container, which again is in my experience, and this says maybe more about me than I'd like it to. I tall boys are holders of awful domestic beer, and I like to think, but I like to think that they were named after the the furniture, and that's how they came up with that. Yeah, it's like well, you know the I thing mean, where with wine, there's like a different names for the very large things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. there's that with uh, Budweiser products, but it's like. There's a tall boy. There's a credenza. There's the a, head. a chest of drawers. Yeah. <laughs> there's my cat pulling several things off the desk, but nothing that's critical to the recording. So we're going to keep going. That was, <laughs> if you <laughs> listen, heard a bang that. that I didn't know how to edit out, that's what that was. So <laughs> I like the idea that at this point we are recording like in opposition to your cat. Like the cat has decided, I don't much care for this podcast. Yeah. At which fair point. And it's now just actively trying to make the podcast not happen as wow. an inside job. Foster kittens, adorable, uh, delightful, but sometimes they judge your creative output. And that's, that's, a, that's not a thing they warn you about. They're like, Look, oh, they cat. might have fleas and here's what you give them for that. And they might be, if, but they never say like, if the, that thing you've done 600 episodes of, if it actively tries to sabotage it, it's because it doesn't care for that kind of thing. Yeah. You need to tell that cat, in the words of our friend Austin White, that content is king and we will not be pushed aside. That's right. I do like it as a judgmental thing. Like this eight-week-old kitten is like, I prefer long-form narrative podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> no, Old-style radio storytelling. Yeah, this loosey-goosey three white guys 
shooting the breeze saying, oh, sure, that may have worked in 2014, but I think we've moved on. It's been done, Matt. It's been <laughs> your, done. Your cat's like, where's the Foley, Matt? Yeah. <laughs> or on the other side, it's it's very, because it is a Gen Z kitten, it's very like, this isn't a TikTok. You guys don't even have, you guys aren't even <laughs> videoing this and doing hot takes about relationships. That's true. <laughs> Nor shall yeah. we. Yeah, that's... Uh, uh, to prove that I'm a distracted podcaster and maybe maybe my uh, foster kitten does have some points about how I could be doing this better. I drove right past a very good segue because speaking of wardrobes, Uh a word that uh, Lee said a few minutes ago, we have news from the world of cinema. Ooh. According to uh, New York Magazine, Greta Gerwig, the director of the upcoming Barbie movie and other uh, indie darling films such as uh, Lady Bird and Little Women, I think, it will direct at least two Chronicles of Narnia films for Netflix. Which wow. I'm sure Miss Gerwig will do a lovely job. Very talented director. Um, we all uh, saw the, the Chronicles of Narnia movies that came out in the 2000s. And you know what? I think that's worth taking another whack at. <laughs> <laughs> in an era before every, even in mid like Harry Potter making $7 billion, Every time they put on a movie, at some point they got through like four of those and they were like, oh, we don't. Uh, yeah, I think we're done. <laughs> that says something. Fair. It wasn't great. But I do like the idea of um, kind of gentle indie film auteurs taking on works of fantasy and works of kind of the Christian canon. I believe the idea sure. that was thrown around when this was announced was. Uh, Wes Anderson presents Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah, I would super enjoy. Good. Like, it feels like they're kind of already halfway there with the outfits. Sure. But instead yeah. of the grand sweeping vistas and the orchestral music, it'd just be like a ukulele in the background as it cuts to just kind of people standing there. Really pleasant music. And then just the, just the straight in front of you cut. Yeah. It's just, that's just you standing there. The I think it would take some of the drama out. Like it's just the thing where they the ring at the, at the very end and they throw it into the fire and advice. It would just be a straight ahead centered shot of uh, Frodo and he'd just kind of take a beat and then just kind of drop the ring and walk off. Yeah, yeah. An Elliot Smith song for a little bit of drama. Yeah, exactly. But so I I think we. We we've talked before, and we love the idea of uh, the in the um, improbable director taking on the either be the Bible story or the kind of work of Christian literature. And I think we'd we'd underestimated how much the the streaming revolution may give us some shots at that. Absolutely. Trying to think of who would be the like the most improbable for something like really old school, like a Pilgrim's Progress. Oh, I have the perfect person. Oh, please. Wow. Paul Verhoeven presents <laughs> Pilgrim's Progress. Yeah. I'd watch I'd buy that for a dollar, such as it were. Right. I would watch that movie. Would I be horrified by it? Probably, but I would watch it. Yeah, the idea of taking the kind of most basic uh morality tale where like he's going to the city called Virtue and he is pilgrim, but just seeing how Verhoeven makes that insane. 
Yeah. Okay. Then my, my next suggestion, and we give me a good story that has a lot of calling each other goody. Like we're doing the whole Puritans thing. Yeah. We got goody. That's the crucible. Yeah. Crucible. That's the, that's the crucible. Letter, that yeah. Kind of deal. All yeah. right. I, I like crucible. We're going with crucible. Michael Bay presents the <laughs> crucible. <laughs> now that's yeah. Giving Michael Bay a dialogue heavy movie. That's, that's a special kind of sadism right there. Yeah. What, 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 what property would you guys entrust to uh, Guillermo del, del Toro? Oh God. Oh, it's gotta what, be what something property with... in Christendom. Yeah. Well, I do like, I mean, obviously, well, she only, it's time to do two of them. I think unleashing Guillermo del Toro into Narnia, which is a, a world populated by kind of talking animals and whatever that are, but that are supposed to be very twee and adorable and just him making them all horrifying. <laughs> yes. It's like the, the eyes Guillermo where they don't Toro, belong. The Guillermo del Toro version of, like the who is the the f- kind of half man half goat Mister what's his name Mister Tumnus. Tumnus yeah he would have the most nightmarish Mister Tumnus oh yeah yeah that's amazing man wow dude well the the other one that you could do if we're doing like straight Bible stories for Del Toro is the Book of Daniel because you have <laughs> the whole thing with the one king getting turned into a beast and everything like yep. dude I would watch Del Toro does Daniel man. <laughs> Oh, that seven years of Nebuchadnezzar in a del Toro. Wow. Right. I think what we're talking about here is kind of a, a Guillermo del Toro reboot of essentially veggie tales. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) They do all the little, the little vignettes of different Bible stories, but in the really stark, dark, uh, kind of metamorphic horror. I think it would be really interesting to see like a um like just with all the like when you think about the book of revelation and just kind of like zipping around like you don't know what time it is you don't know what we don't know where we are exactly just like a, a manic Christopher Nolan take on like the book of revelation yeah of course it's going to have my kind in it and like of course you know but like just, I mean, we, we never know if we're going forwards, backwards, whatever, you know, what, 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 you know, plane are we existing on currently? Yes. Yes. Well, much like many other Christopher Nolan properties, the more someone claims to understand every nuance of the book of revelation is how, you know, they don't understand any of it. And I think it's that similar yeah. with like inception and tenet. Yes. Like the person who well, wants to explain to you in depth what that means understands it the least yeah yeah it, yeah. yeah if if you're gonna explain memento to me save it <laughs> yeah now i'm tr- I'm trying to think of what the funniest thing for a Zack snyder would be <laughs> and i think like kind of early church like because just the most non-violent like it's the uh, the idea of just eschewing violence at every turn and you can just see Snyder like set up the fight scene, but then there's no fight scene, and he just—it's just—it's just that kid Eutychus that died by falling out the window when Paul was preaching too long. <laughs> yeah, really gonna have to make a make a lot out of that moment to really yes. Snyder this. He falls for forty five minutes, <laughs> and then we do 
the Paul cut where he falls for a hundred hour and 25 minutes. <laughs> I, this just, it, so I have two that just spark my imagination. One is Tarantino does the book of judges. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. Jed. <laughs> right. All right. Now the next one I would not actually want to see because it'd be a waste of this man's talents. He's a genius and he's an artist, but Hayao Miyazaki does veggie tales. Ooh. Now that's right? interesting. I mean, again, th- that man should not do that material because he's better than that, but it would be incredible. Wow. Yeah, that's certainly something. I'm think I was yeah, Tarantino's very very interesting on some of that stuff. It's going to it's going to be more beeped than most of your <laughs> Yeah, the 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 abuse falling from the walls of Jericho onto the uh, marching Israelites is going to be rough there. Deborah the Judge, of course, played by Uma Thurman. Sure. Yeah. Do they speak English in Jericho? Katana, that's <laughs> yeah. Quentin, that's very anachronistic. Don't care. Yeah. The uh I let to take us back to the kind of the idea of just kind of the the Uber indie darling. I think there would be some fitting stuff. You know, we mentioned kind of uh David in the last show talking about mental health stuff. I think you might get a more impactful David movie if you gave it to like Noah Baumbach or someone, and it's just a middle-aged man who's very overwhelmed at all times with his life. Mm. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, those kind of guys who only make movies about, who only write movies about kind of frustrated writers. Yeah, yeah. I think you'd be halfway there with David. Like, his songwriting career's yeah. not really taking off in the way he'd like. <laughs> is there is there is there anybody that's just delightful? Like, I I don't know as many directors as you guys do, but is there anybody that's just delightful and you could just like perk up a nice little story from the Bible, a little, a little kind of uh, Ruth situation or something like that? Michelle Gondry, Ruth. Oh, we okay. have it. We have it. Yeah, I like that a lot. I think we've, I think we've given Hollywood a lot to think about here. Yeah, you're welcome. Don't think they're going to, <laughs> but I think they should. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and with that, we will declare. A cinematic emergency off. We move on to your fine questions. If you have a question for us, hang out with us all the way to the end, or you can scroll down your episode description, click the links you find there. First question comes in this week and says, it's been a while since I've prayed. It feels weird to try to like get back in the habit. How do I do that? Well, speaking of cinema, you can start off by watching the movie Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit, and see if you have any uh, tips in that. Now, you may ask yourself, why do you remember the name of the sequel, the sister act, a movie that you've never actually seen. And listener, that's a great question. I have no idea. Um, generationally there, I, I wonder if my co-hosts have this, there's some movies that I'm only aware of because they were in the previews of VHSs of movies that I did watch when I was oh, a child. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. So like I, I've seen a 32nd trailer of a lot of movies that I've never seen, which is <laughs> yeah. again, another thing that we lose in the magic of the streaming service, but Back to your question about getting back in the habit of praying. It's a great one. I'm glad you read it in. And Lee, where would we kick off here? Uh, first off, I would be remiss if I were to fail to mention that I loved Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit, if only because um, one Lauren Hill was spectacular in that movie and has maybe the greatest version of his eyes on the sparrow in all of recorded music. So, um, yeah, no, it's a really, really cool question. 
Um, I'm going to do a couple things with this. One, I'm going to steal from a writer that um, that I like. I think we like, uh, as far as the the my co-hosts um, on this show, a writer called Anne Lamott, former oh, guest yes. of the Say That Podcast. Um, yeah, that's right. Former interview uh, interviewee on on the Say That Podcast. Anne Lamott wrote a book about prayer, um, and it's called Help, Thanks, Wow. And I love that. I think it's really, really cool. And basically, she's just like, look, are you stuck in prayer? Why don't you start here? Um, help, thanks, wow. In the, in the midst of your life, where are places that you need help? Where are places that you feel a natural sense of gratitude? And where are some places that you feel a natural sense of awe? Um, it is you're going to feel those emotions at different times in your life. I don't know what to do right now. I need help. Um, wow. That was really cool. I feel a sense of gratitude um, or whoa, that is absolutely beautiful or that is stunning. I am overwhelmed with awe. And her part of her thesis is um, if you're struggling with prayer, you don't have to be an amazing prayer. You don't even have to have this intensely amazing relationship with God. Just Aim some of those feelings at God and see how you feel. Um, it's it's a pretty cool place to start. Um, when you, if you're struggling, um, just talk about it out loud when you're alone in your kitchen. And even if you feel like I don't have a great relationship with God right now, just kind of air some of that stuff out, man. It, air it out and see how you feel airing it out. It's a form of processing. It's kind of a verbal processing. You can call that prayer if you want to. You could, in your heart, you could be aiming that at, at God. Um, as you understand God, um, thanks is another sense in which, man, um, something great happens. And and by the way, I wouldn't make that like huge stuff, like the salvation of my soul or anything like that, or the promise of heaven or anything. I, I would start with things like, oh, like uh, this is just a glimpse into my life, but like, like dry clean clothes and uh you know some warm coffee or warm tea to start the day um uh, a pleasant climate and a quiet front porch uh birds at the bird feeder those are things i'm thankful for um and um just saying thanks about stuff or expressing awe aiming some of that stuff at the lord so that that's kind of one thing and again, I, the, none of this has come from me. I'm directly stealing this from Anne Lamott. Um, I think she's really, really smart, and I think it's a really good place to start. The other thing I would say, I'm stealing from my friend Janet. Um, uh, she's a gal that goes to our church. She's a very gifted preacher, um, and she was she was preaching recently in our church, and she talked about a time in her life that she went through. It was a very difficult time where she basically decided, you know what, I'm, I don't believe in God anymore. and um, and so that's what we're doing now. And she said one of the, the crises that she faced in, in the midst of that kind of uh, experiment, is what she called it, was that when people that she really, really loved and cared about had a hard time, she felt like, I didn't have anything to offer them. And I think that's really, really interesting. That's a really interesting thing. She said, in getting myself to a place where I no longer believed in God, which meant I was no longer praying, 
there was something I was longing for that I could not offer to someone that I loved. One of the things that is very special to me as a person that believes in the Lord is that when I reach out with a problem to other people that I care about and who care about me with something I can't solve, one of their knee-jerk reactions is to say to me, I'll pray, how can I pray for you on that? Or I will be praying for you and Christy on that, or I'll be praying for your children on that thing. Now, some people are like uh, my wife, Christy, or like Jed. And if you've experienced, if, you, if you're a listener to this podcast and you've experienced either Jed or Christy, what you will know is if you take a problem to them and nine people out of 10 would say, I'll be praying for you. The 10th person out of 10, which would be Jed or Christy will say, let me, let me pray for you real quick. And they will just do that on the phone right then. Um, that's, that's who Jed is. That's who Christy is. So the other thing I would say for you is if you've gotten out of the habit, um, if you're if that's something that you want to be a part of your life, then involve yourself in the hardships of people that you care about. I think that that is a thing that could draw you back towards an inclination to take that problem somewhere that is bigger britches than you've got. I know that's my heart when I pray for people is, um, I've got, I've got a place I can take this. I might not be able to provide the answer. I might not be able to change the weather or the situation or your health or your job situation or whatever it is, but there is something that I can do for you. And I believe in it. Um, if, if part of the situation is you've gotten out of the habit, maybe the help thinks, wow, thing would be a helpful place to start. But maybe another place to start is who do you care about that's having a hard time? And um, let your heart of compassion for your friend be something that leads you back towards prayer, if that's what you're looking for. Let me also say this before I kick it around, because this is super important. And Matt has said lots of things like this over the years in this podcast, which I really, really appreciate. If you've called out in the name of the Lord and you don't pray for another day in your life, you are not unsaved. That's not the way this religion works. You are not in trouble. You are not fired. None of those things. You, um, nobody has the right to judge you off that, and you don't have to be ashamed of yourself. If what you're looking for is, I'd like something back that I experienced when I had a, a, a deeper relationship with prayer then maybe try some of these things. Maybe they will help. But it's not a thing where you are disqualified by any measure from the heart of God or the love of God or a relationship with God. Absolutely. Beautifully put. And uh, Jed, where we close this out? That's amazing. You should listen to that answer again. That is beautiful and pastoral and awesome. I definitely don't have anything to add to that. So I'm going to read you an excerpt from another really amazing writer. This is Friedrich Buechner. Um, And this is part of a longer piece that he wrote about prayer. But um, he says, anything I would want to say much better than I could. And it's been super meaningful to me in my own life, what he's describing. And we'll, I think, Matt, we can probably put the link to the Buechner piece in like the episode notes or something. Yeah, if it's one that's uh, on his website in full, we can super do that. Awesome. So here it goes. Whatever else it may or may not be, prayer is at least talking to yourself. And that's not in and of itself, a, and, and that's in itself not always a bad idea. Mm. Talk to yourself about your own life, about what you've done and what you failed to do. 
and about who you are and who you wish you were and who the people you love are and the people you don't love too. Talk to yourself about what matters most to you because if you don't, you may forget what matters most to you. Even if you don't believe anybody's listening, at least you'll be listening. Believe somebody is listening. Believe in miracles. That's what Jesus told the father who had asked him to heal his epileptic son. Jesus said, quote, all things are possible to him who believes. And the father spoke for all of us when he answered, quote, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Mm. What about when the boy is not healed? When listened to or not listened to, the prayer goes unanswered. Who knows? Just keep praying, Jesus says. Remember the sleepy friend, the crooked judge. Even if the boy dies, keep on beating the path to God's door. Because the one thing you can be sure of is that down the path you beat with even your most half-cocked and halting prayer, the God you call upon will finally come. Absolutely. Beautifully put. I think one of the things that we can super get confused about prayer because one of the only ways we experience it, especially in seasons where we're unsure about it and not doing it is through the idea of kind of communal prayer. Maybe if you still go to church or someone up front or you're reading uh, something, you know, written out about prayer and that's all fine. Um, But I think more and more as I get older, as I see more in this life, I, I really and taking to heart and understanding more about um, Jesus's instruction that the most, I think we safely say at least that the most important prayer is the one that is done alone. You know, pray in your closet. Don't pray on the street corners. Don't pray to be seen. Um, I think obviously there's a, a place for communal prayer in the world. That's, that's a, not a bad thing necessarily, but the idea of prayer is supposed to be private. Is supposed to be um, between you and God. That's when the, the real stuff gets done. And But I think the fact that we can only experience what other people do praying in those kind of public spaces, for the most part, is a warping concept. Because we, when you pick up people who want to be at their most eloquent and want to be at their most um, well-spoken and want to maybe, I'm not uh, casting aspersions at dozens of pastors I've met over the years, want to squeeze in an extra three three to five minutes of preaching time and make some points via the prayer, because they think that doesn't actually count as uh, their preaching time. It's just yeah. a different thing. Um, you get to be rambly. You get to be ranty. You get to um, be emotional and circle back mm-hmm. to stuff and repeat yourself and not entirely make sense. That is all totally on the table when it comes to having a, a healthy, active, uh, fruitful prayer life. So, um, like anything else where you've gotten out of a habit, I I think one of the things when, whether we're starting someone for the the first time or restarting it, the path to being good goes through being bad kind of unquestionably. Um, the good news is there's really no such thing as outside of, you know, those doing it to be heard, trying to impress people. That's how you get bad at prayer. According to the Bible, according to Jesus, that's what bad prayer is. If you're, if you're alone, if you're, having thoughts, if you're putting verbiage to them, if you're learning something, that's all very, very good stuff. So as in so many stuff, the best way to, the best way to do it is to do it. Even if it's, if it's messy, if it's unfocused, if it doesn't feel like it's eloquent and uh, organized, 
that's probably a good thing. So you're probably starting off in a better place than you think. Good, and with man. that, we will jump to our second question here. It comes in anonymously and says, in Luke 10, Jesus tells the disciples, whoever rejects you rejects me. What does this mean for us today? I reject a lot of stuff said by Christian leaders. I don't think that means I'm rejecting Jesus. Another excellent question and a a, a kind of theme of question we get where I, w- I would put under oft abused and misused verses. And this is this is very, very high at that list um, for yeah. reasons I'm sure we will get into. But Lee, where do we start off here? Yeah, this is a really, by our question asker, this is a really great point. Um, this is one of those situations where the context is absolutely king. Um, the context matters significantly because not everybody who touts the name of Jesus automatically gets the protection that's listed in this verse. There is, there's kind of a promised protection here. Um, if somebody rejects you, they reject me. Um, the problem is, is that the wider context of this is that Jesus is sending, uh, some of his followers out to speak for him and to minister on his behalf and under his style of teaching. And when you look at that context, you find out he's saying very specific things to them. Don't take an extra pair of sandals. Don't take a bag of money with you. Don't take an extra jacket with you. Um, if, if somebody's willing to put you up, then stay with them and pronounce peace over their home. If people are not down with that kind of, with the kind of life that, that, that you're walking around with, then look, shake the dust off your feet, go somewhere else. Um, this is going to be a very humble, it's going to be a very meager, it's not going to be showy, it is not going to be uh, big or glitzy or anything like that. That's the context of this thing. Some people are going to reject you, he says. They are not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. It's the exact same thing that the Lord said to Moses uh, thousands of years before Jesus started his ministry, which was, you think they're rejecting you, they're actually rejecting me. Well, that's in the context of the heart of God that Moses was connecting those people to. Jesus is sending people out to minister with his teaching style, with his specific values. I mean, Jesus lived a life of poverty. Jesus lived a life of serving people. Jesus lived a life of meekness. He lived a life where the greatest is the servant of all, and the last will be first, and the first will be last. So the problem that you get into is when Christ, when so-called Christians who are really on Christian nationalism say, well, you got basically you got to do what whatever we're on, or you're rejecting Jesus. That ain't it, man. That ain't it at all. If it is, if everything that somebody that's claiming the name of Jesus or the 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 ways of Jesus or whatever, if it has nothing whatsoever to do with the teachings or the heart of Jesus, then you're exactly right to look at this and go, wait, one of these things does not look like the other to quote Sesame street. Like this is not, these are not the same thing. No, they're not. Look, if you know Jesus, you can smell what is Jesus-y and what is hinky. And when you see all this Christian nationalism, when you see hatred, when you see homophobia or transphobia, when you see, when, when you see uh, prejudice, marginalization, and when you see uh, 
quite frankly, fanciness for fanciness's sake. When you see, um, when you see machoism or when you see misogyny, all of these things, if any of them have Jesus attached to them in any way, you are more than free and in fact encouraged to absolutely reject that stuff. That's not the same thing as rejecting Jesus. Jesus sent these people out and said, don't carry extra shoes. Don't carry an extra coat. Don't even carry an extra money bag. We're going to do this uh, as servants. We're going to do this. uh, We're going to do this uh, taking care of people. We're going to do this meagerly. We are not going to do this in a showy way. And we're going to do this as an operation of love. We're going to do this as an operation of caring about people who are sick people who are poor and people who need help, people who are marginalized and people who other people reject. That's what we're on. If it's not that and you reject it, you should reject it. It's not the way of Jesus. Very, very well put. And Jed, what will we add to that? Well, obviously I echo everything that, that Lee has said. And I'd like to kind of pull the camera back a little bit and just ask, how do we navigate difficult or confusing passages in the Bible when we find them um, or, or passages that kind of have become difficult because of the ways that people like to misuse them. So we have a few tools at our disposal as we kind of figure out how to do that. And, and Lee has already um, kind of set the context for one of the key ones. And so the the thing about the, the Bible is that kind of the overall, the overall arc of, of the gospel is that, there's not a moment where it's opposites day or we're in bizarro land and suddenly he was a loving God, but now he's a wrathful God who really hates you like that. <laughs> we don't, ha- we don't have that in this religion. Um, Surprise. Yeah, we don't, there's not, there's not an M night Shyamalan twist coming at the end where, Oh no, he was a wrathful God all along. See, now we um, got to know what, what Bible story he's going to direct. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like that's got a Jacob and Esau situation because there's a reveal. Oh, that's what a twist. That's very, very good. Very wow. Good. Wow. Yeah. So there's not a big twist coming at the end. God loves you. He's going to keep on loving you. Uh, and you know, you're. It's great. Like it's good news. There, there's not like a an asterisk with like you know really crappy end user licensing agreement stuff on it. It's just good news, which is what the word gospel means. So. If we're reading something and it feels like, okay, so this is the point where God turns out to be a really bad dude that I shouldn't trust, then that's not what that passage means. If, if that's where that is taking us, then, then we can go ahead and say that's not the right way to interpret this passage. That's not the right way to look at this. There's also kind of the next thing that you can add into the equation, which is similar in a sense, but it's just the idea of a sanity check. Like, does this hold water at all? And and one way to do that is to say, let's shift this into a non-religious context and ask, what would this look like there? So let's use this passage as an example of that, right? Like, the thing that people that are abusing the Bible do is they say, here's what this passage means is that anyone who disagrees with my dogmatic assertions is an agent of Satan, right? <laughs> that that's That's how people want to misuse this passage. And then tell you, no, that's that's what it means. So let's shift that into a non-religious context for a second. And it's just, there's a person who wants to lead in a way where no one can question anything they say. And if anyone does question anything they say, it's because they're an awful human being. In any other context, this is immediately a bad idea. Like, this is just 
authoritarianism. I mean, this this is bad. This is really, really bad. It's like so, cartoon level bad. Exactly right. Exactly right. Like this is the the villain on the Cobra TV series. That's or the GI <laughs> Joe TV series. That's that's what we got going on here, man. So. If it would be a terrible and unimplementable idea in basically any other arena of life, again, we can come back to, well, then that's not what this means. The Bible is not mandating some sort of unimplementable, bizarro world life. That's that's not it. And simply giving ourselves permission to take the those bad options that you know we're concerned about off the table, I think is going to give us a lot more peace. Um, and it's going to be a lot easier to understand what's going on when we're not kind of afraid of possible outcomes. And then the last thing that I would add to it, which is a, a gift that you can give yourself, is to look at a passage of Scripture and just say, I don't get it. Mm. I'll come back to that one at some point. I, for right now, I don't, I don't get it. I know it doesn't cancel the stuff that I do understand, so I don't have to worry about it, but I don't, I don't really get that. You're totally allowed to do that. And you're totally allowed to be like, there's parts of the Bible that I find really encouraging and I want to be thinking on about. And right now and where I am at in my life, there's other parts that just make me feel bad. So I'm just going to, I'm going to focus on the parts that I, that I like. You're, you're allowed to do that too. That's, that's totally cool. Um, people trying to act schmucky, just like Lee was saying, it, it, the fact that they're trying to paint God on it, 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 it makes it worse, but it doesn't change it from being schmucky behavior. Um, you don't, you don't have to be afraid that there's going to be this really schmucky dude who comes forward with such a powerful biblical argument that at long last you have to endorse his schmuckitude. That's not going to happen. That's, that's just not, it's not a thing, man. So, uh, rest easy and we love you and we've got your back. I'm strongly tempted to make endorse his schmuckitude the title of this episode. <laughs> and we'll see if I have the 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 guts to follow through with it. But all that is incredibly well put by these guys. And again, um, as a refrain, I've come to uh, many many times over the years of this podcast. Whenever someone tries to Bible you, you have your well within your rights to go. I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> I had the Bible, and uh, you're being a huge jerk to me. So I don't actually care what you have to say about the Bible. So. Because that's that concept is very much in the Bible as well. Yeah, and also it's worth pointing out in this passage, as as Lee pointed out, even if you were to uh, ascend to that this person is uh, aping the scenario, and therefore this applies to them that Jesus was giving to the the disciples at this point, the answer at the end is shake the dust off your sandals and move on. It was not, well, sit there and keep trying and go back to them and point it out and send them articles and whatever. It was, well, they said no, so push on. There's another great Matt King point here, too, which is another great perennial Matt King point, which is two-thirds of the time this religion has spread across the earth, most people couldn't read. Yep. So this whole idea of the quintessential expression of this religion is everybody wakes up in the morning and has a quiet time with a journal and a cup of coffee is banana pants. <laughs> yes. Yes. You, you, there's definitely a much like in the, to go back to the film industry, a, another arena in the world in which the nerds totally won is the idea that the most important thing about Christianity is reading the right series of books. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. From here, um, I think we can blame Luther for that. Calvin and Knox didn't help, but now you got a bunch of bunch of people bopping around who thinking 
that understanding things in a systematic and a works-cited way is the the ultimate expression of Christianity. And to that we say, no. Push <laughs> on, give, nerds. Yes, we give a very dismissive... We, I think I respond to that in the exact same way I respond to people saying that actually Across the Spider-Verse wasn't a good movie because according to the canon and... De- no. no. That's... Yeah. Go That's away. not what we're doing. It rocked. Yes. It was a very good movie. Christianity is a religion to be experienced as a religion uh, created, and all of its first uh, tenants were almost certainly illiterate and deeply poor. So, uh, no, <laughs> we just reject that out of hand. <laughs> yeah. And again, I, one thing that's worth pointing out in a lot of stuff, that, that you owe no one any more of an argument than that. Someone says, I come in the name of... No. I nope. don't think you do, friend. And on that, we'll move on to our final question. It comes in and says, I know that negative emotions can't lead me to change, but I do have negative feelings that are part of me wanting to change. So what do I do with them while I'm working on things? <clears throat> and I think another a very good question, and if not a direct follow-up, definitely uh, piggybacking off something we've said uh, several times. So we talked about uh, making changes in your life over the years, this idea that, you're never going to feel bad enough that that will spark you to a long lasting change. But I think uh, Lee and Olivia, because you started here, I think our question actually makes a very good point of there are in almost any situation where you want to make a change, there are negative emotions involved or maybe other things going on. There will be negative feelings. So what do we, what do we do with that while we're working on a more healthy response? This is such a sharp question, man. It's so, so interesting. And I think it has, uh, layers, multitudes, if you would, of, of stuff we could talk about here. One of the things is like, I think about making changes in my own life. And I unfortunately have, this is just a true confessions time here, fellas and list dear listeners. I unfortunately have reached an age. I don't know if it's age. I don't know what it is. I don't know what causes these things. I just can't have dairy any longer. Yeah, man. Like, I just can't do that any longer. And, um, which is a super unfortunate thing because the, the, the fallout of that is the problem is I enjoy cheeseburgers like a lot, a lot. And ice cream is cool, man. Ice cream is good. The problem now for me is. I can't have pizza the way I used to have it. And I can't eat ice cream unless it's made with like oat milk, which the technology is improving, but it's just not the same thing. Okay. And so, and this is a, this is a true real life story. Last night, my wife comes into the house. My son and I are watching a a car show and she unloads on the table this, it was basically like an Oreo branded ice cream sandwich. Whoa. My 14 year old son is like, dude, it's like Christmas in July, literally. And I don't know what to say to you fellas. I grabbed one. This was a really stupid decision by me. The spirit is willing, but the GI tract is over 35. (laughs) Almost 45. (laughs) And you know, it's so look, look, I, I lay all that out to say, like, there's something I want to change. There's something I have to change. 
I'm not willing to cope with the uncomfortable feelings. I'm, I, I, don't, I don't make a plan for those. I, I, I lay that out to say there are uncomfortable emotions, there are not pleasant emotions that have the potential to lead us to change. We don't typically, I think, um, and I'm not a mental health expert, okay? I'm just a guy. But I don't think that, we, that most people typically make plans for uncomfortable emotions. There are situations in our life that we make strategies and plans for. Uncomfortable emotions are not typically those things. So if I could just make a suggestion and just say, there are some uncomfortable things that are your friend. That sucks. I don't like it. I don't want it to be true. I don't, um, I don't enjoy that. I don't enjoy things that are uncomfortable. There are some uncomfortable sensations, feelings, emotions, and situations that are our friends because they are educating us about a pinpoint place in our, our life and our behavior that needs to have some alteration and change. So, okay. Sometimes I think what we do is, well, let me just speak personally. I think what I do sometimes is just like, all right, just strap in, experience the uncomfortable stuff, let it fly, see how the chips land. Just see what happens. What if we were to make some strategy beforehand for how we're going to process and deal with something that's uncomfortable and then start to formulate a process for what is the thing that needs to be evaluated? What is the thing that needs to be inspected? What is the thing that might need to change? Um, that may take some help. That may take some conversations. Nothing that I'm saying, I, 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 and I want to say this out front, nothing that I'm saying is very precise or clarifying, okay? And I know that because I am not, uh, I am not a mental health expert or licensed professional counselor who is walking you through your particular issues. What I'm saying is most of us don't create a plan beforehand for uncomfortable emotions. And that's a thing that we might want to start making a plan for. How am I going to respond to uncomfortable emotions? How can I set some things in motion that where I, where I use those things as, um, as beacons for change as, um, as, as a, a runway for, a, a you know, a new possible landing strip for how I need to change my behavior or whatever that thing is. And, and understand that I'm not even talking about a light switch type situation. I'm talking about gradual change over time. I might set a, a strategy in, in, in play and realize that didn't work for me. I didn't like that. That didn't work. That caused more anxiety or it caused more discomfort. Great. Let's move on to another strategy. I think um, if we are willing to admit this, and this is broad strokes, this is not just your question. This is broad strokes that I've found to be true for most of us. If we are willing to admit that I have places in my life, blind spots and issues where I need to make changes, and I'm not in a hurry about those things, but I'm willing to set some things in motion, to look at that and invite people into that process, then I think the ceiling is very high over how much change can actually happen. And I think that would be a really cool place to start. Again, 
I'm not telling you that as somebody who's figured it all out because <laughs> Lord knows I haven't. I ate an ice cream sandwich last night knowing that I'm not in a good place with lactose. But I'm telling you, it was one of those things within, I mean, within hours, I was like, that was a stupid decision. I need to start planning better for when somebody plops down an Oreo ice cream sandwich in my face. I need to have a strategy ready to go. All fantastic stuff. I'm now just picturing Lee sharing that anecdote through the the medium of overcooked sermon analogy. And just kind of, you know, the, the guy who gets up and the the lucite podium and the backlit, you know, the distressed wood behind him, the band counters down and, you know, I had an ice cream sandwich last night. <laughs> just in full earnestness and launches into it. I think that's delightful. Uh, but the point is very well well made. And I think there's a lot of great stuff there. So, Jed, what would we have to add to that? No, that's great. Well, let me share a couple things that have just been useful to me. Um, and then I, I have kind of one broader thought, just like Lee said, I'm not a mental health practitioner. Um, and even if I was, I'm not your mental health practitioner. Um, so I'm just some guy, but these are a couple things that have been useful to me. So the first one is you've got a lot of negative feelings going. You are taking steps to get to a better place. Do you have rest time in your day that is mentally and emotionally restful for you? Do you have things that you do, people you spend time with, whatever it is, that give you a break from having to have the negative emotions at least for a while? Um, because that kind of break, like an unpleasant thing can be made almost infinitely more bearable if there are breaks built in. Um, you know, and, and so – it is it is taxing. It is tiring to be wrestling with those negative thoughts um, and having 20 minutes where you're not can make a huge difference. So um, what that's going to look like in your life it really depends on you. It's going to be different strokes for different folks. And it doesn't matter if it's, you know, uh, baking cookies or playing a video game or reading a book. It doesn't matter what it is as long as it has the, the impact. And you may have to try some things to find the impact that works for you. Um, but that is definitely something that's helped me a lot. So that's thing one <clears throat> thing two, particularly when the, the emotions are really intense, you know, and they're just really, they're just right up in your face in a way that you can't ignore. And, um, you know, you're feeling worn out from it. Something that's been really helpful for me. And, and this comes from the world of meditation, which is great stuff. And it, that would probably help too. But one of the principles that gets talked about a lot in meditation is learning how to observe your thoughts as you have them and learning how to observe your emotions as you have them, where you're able to get a little bit of distance from the noise in your head. It's one thing to say, you know, I, you know, I'm mad. I got mad feelings. It's another to be able to get some distance in your own brain and say, I am aware that I am feeling angry right now. That's, it feels like a small difference. It's a big difference. And, and it gives you, it gives you a very, very powerful tool that is useful for a lot of things, but it's incredibly useful when you're dealing with kind of just negative thoughts is the ability to tell yourself this feeling will pass. This feeling that I have right now that doesn't feel good and that I don't enjoy having this feeling will pass. Almost certainly at some point today, I will have a minute where I don't feel this way. 
and in the fullness of time, I will definitely not feel this way. This feeling is not my forever truth. This feeling actually will pass. Being able to tell yourself that can be, and it certainly has been in my life, something that makes things that would otherwise be unbearable, bearable. Um, knowing that the, the things about the thing in my experience about a lot of negative emotions and negative feelings is they compound themselves because they're kind of telling you not only does everything suck and you suck and feel bad, but you're going to feel this way forever. I'm going to be, I'm going to be on you for the rest of your life and being able to assert yourself. No, he's got me in a headlock right now, but that's not forever. This feeling really will pass. I, for me has been a super, super helpful thing. Um, again, I think you need times in the day when you have a break. And I, I think developing the ability to observe your own feelings and remind yourself this feeling will pass. I think both of those are very, very useful. The last thing I would want to offer to you is kind of a conceptual thing. Cause I think that negative feelings can, can be even harder to bear when we kind of think that they have a power that they don't, they don't really have. And so it's worth asking what can negative feelings actually tell you? Because they can tell you, hey, your brain wants you to look at something. They, they can tell you that, but that's actually about it. Um, negative feelings lack precision and they lack proportion, right? They, they might tell you, you, there's something you don't like about your job. Okay, well, that's, that's actually good to know. I mean, like, your body experiences pain to be like, hey, you're touching a hot thing. It's too hot. You should stop touching it. And so we, you know, it's, it's good to have that warning system. But once we are like, okay, I need to kind of look at my job situation. Now we need to get pretty precise. Like what's going on at my job and what are the dynamics and is it really about the job or am I mad about other things? And this is just kind of triggering to me. We need to get very precise. And we also, again, we need a sense of proportion. We need to be able to, to say, well, how bad is it at my job? Is this one of those, like, we need to start looking at this and getting a fix? Or is it like, no, you need to get HR involved. This is immediate. This is an emergency. We need that sense of proportion. Negative feelings are terrible at giving you precision. And they are terrible at giving you proportion most of the time. It is just generally, this is a bad thing and you should feel bad. Which... Again, it's not pleasant, but there's there can be a useful thing like, oh, you know, uh, look over there. They very, very rarely suggest how much attention is needed in that area that we have a concern about. And they very rarely uh, point out the specifics of the attention that are needed, what what our what our goals are going to be. If we can remind ourselves that in a lot of ways, the um, the negative feelings are something in our brain or body saying, please pay attention to this thing over there. And that that is the end of their useful input. I think that robs a lot of the power and the fear out of the, the negative emotions. All fantastic stuff from both of these guys. I will um, add one thing to the end here that I, I know is good advice and I use myself. And I also know that no one wants to hear, which is for every negative emotion, there is a positive interpretation of it and part of the the i think the skill of making a sustainable change is as we as both these guys have touched on you have to feel the negative emotion acknowledge the negative emotion but moving towards finding something positive about it so if it is you know i'm trying to establish a new habit i want to i want to get up 
and go for a walk and listen to, I, I need to listen to a little bit of a book and I need to clear my head before I leave for work and all that. Um, let's say you, your goal is to get up and go for a 45 minute walk and you wake up late and you get 20 minutes in. There's an, probably going to be a natural negative emotion of, oh, I'm such a lazy piece of garbage and I can't even do this and I could have gone to bed earlier, but I stayed up scrolling my phone. And all that's totally natural. To, but at some point to shift the gear to, well, 20 minutes is better than nothing. And I didn't get to listen to a chapter of this book and the book was pretty good. Or I listened to this podcast or whatever it is. I saw, you know, I ran into a dog or whatever the highlight of your walk is. It still happened. I still did something. Um, from our, I, I, I really, we try not to use too many fitness or uh, weight loss analogies on this show. Cause it's just a, it's just a minefield for almost everyone in the world. But one thing I have taken to heart from uh, some friends who are in the kind of personal training thing and talk to coach people with that is the idea that something is always better than nothing. Yep. So you can focus on the, I didn't do all of it or I didn't do all of what I wanted to, but some point acknowledging I did something and something is definitely better than nothing. I could have done nothing. And there have been many times when I could, when I did. So I did something. So, um, I'm not saying to ignore the negative emotion or to replace the negative emotion with a positive emotion. Cause we know that doesn't work, but to be able to journey through the negative emotion and get to something positive with the knowledge that that's probably not going to make you feel a fully positive emotion. You're never, probably not going to shoot. Well, actually I'm really thankful for the 5% of the thing I thought I was going to get done that I did get it done. And it's totally changed my outlook, but to not leave a, a conversation with yourself, I guess would be the best way to put it totally negative to, kind of push yourself a little bit to find that something good, something positive, something not totally negative out of it. I, that is a, a practice that in my life I know has paid off. And I think you will find, uh, we'll do the same for you. If you implement that on top of the other great stuff, these guys gave you. All right. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, the bridge, slash ask at entirely anonymous. Take you out with a song this week. We've been touching on actually, uh, jives very well with the idea of positive and negative emotions. This is from our friend Eric Peters. Uh, so, uh, some songs we did from a while. This is the hymn Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. Really cool track. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above.
Victors in the midst of strife, joyful news and.